Hey guys, it's Dan from the Batchat Podcast. We're running our tipping competition again. That's right. Last year we had huge prizes. I think we gave away thousands of dollars. This year it's going to be even better. You have to be a patron though, so head to backchatpodcast.com.au. You can sign up as a patron there. You get access to early episodes and also our merch. It's pretty good. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey guys, new podcast this week, Corey McKernan. I thought it was fitting, Brownlow week. Well, this man's won one, then lost one. Uh, the Norm Smith, he probably should have had that too, but robbed, just like yours truly. I think he even won the Rising Star and had that taken off him for being reported as well. Corey McKernan, it's a great footy story. He played in one of the most successful teams throughout the 90s, if not the most, with some of the biggest names in the game, King Carey, uh, Glenn Archer, Anthony Stevens, Adam Simpson, the list goes on. Corey McKernan, North Melbourne. Great football star, great chat. You'll enjoy this one. Remember, you can also watch uh, all of the interviews over on our YouTube page or find everything you need at backchatstudios.com.au. Enjoy. Well, this is a good one. I'm up and about about this. We we'll are on back well. chat powered by Fleet Network. We haven't had a beer for a while. It's um, been a while. Might be a little bit early, but it's 12 o'clock somewhere. It's actually 12 o'clock right here. It's 12 <laughs> o'clock on the dot. Corey McKernan joins us, mate. How are you? Well, it is. It also, it'd be 2 o'clock in the Eastern States <laughs> yeah, of Australia. So we're well and truly in the clear. That's the excuse I use all the time. Back yes. chat powered by Fleet Network this year. They are, they are giving us the tools to drive this podcast. Corey, we asked the same question to every guest that ever comes on this show it's the first one every time mm. now we know you've been able to do a lot in football mm. um and i want to know your greatest sporting achievement but it's not in the football realm so we want to know your greatest sporting achievement not on the footy field we know you're a premiership player you've actually won two of them 96 99 mm. um you're good. all australian mvp <clears throat> um probably should have won the norm smith did win the Brownlow medal even though you didn't get it that night. You've done a fair bit in footy land. Actually, we- you left the, I lost the rising star at the Wacker too. <laughs> so there we'll you go. There's another one you can add to your list. We know you can play footy. You've played <laughs> over 200 games across two clubs, yep. even though you came back to one that you started at, you ended up finishing where you started. Yep. We know all that. We want to know your greatest sporting achievement not on the footy field. What, about, what else can you play? Well, you... I think it, I don't know whether that's a semi-loaded question. It's not loaded. Everyone gets it. I mean, Dan took five, <laughs> no, five was, or six. Knowing the well-researched man that you are, yes. <laughs> no, nah, well, look, it's probably well publicised for for people who obviously don't know. But yeah, I, I played golf from when I was thirteen till I was about seventeen years old. Like I never played football during that time. So really, um, 
yeah, there'd be a number of things that I've probably done in golf over the journey that, you know, I mean, shooting good scores or hitting. Hole in one? Never had a hole in one. <laughs> that's I've, a big, I've that's a big a, No, look, I've, I've hold shots from the fairway. Um, like, I, I, and again, you can say this when you haven't had a hole in one because it, I, I deem it that if I've held my second shot on a par four for a two, I deem that is it's it's nearly a bit better than just hitting one good shot yes. you know what i mean like so again i i went incredibly incredibly close as a, and a big shout out to a friend of mine mark hay if he ends up listening to this shout out mark we were Hazy. we were playing golf one day at ainsbury in victoria and mark was spruiking off about the fact he loved it he's going have you oh, well have you had a hole in one and he knew i hadn't right so this went on for a couple of holes we're playing Mind you, we're playing Ambrose, Ambrose in the same group, but as being golf, we mm. take the piss out of one another. So anyway, we get to this par four, it's about 350 metres, and they'd all hit their tee shot down the middle of the fairway. And I said, I'm just going to go straight at the green, hit it over the dog leg. I knew that they were already in the fairway, and if I really crank it out there, I know I can get it out there. So I've absolutely, as soon as I hit it, I've gone, that's going to be pretty close to on. Like, I'm, I'm, I said, I've flushed that as good as I could hit it. <laughs> so Michael Roberts, who uh, was on Triple M footy and uh, played for St Kilda. Great man. Yep. So he he walks, they're, on the, they're over the back of the green. He comes up shaking his head. And I said, what's wrong? And he goes, I'll show you where the ball is. And it was probably about an inch or two shy of going in the hole, which would have <laughs> actually made... I think that would have qualified as my greatest ever achievement. I, how cool would that be to say, yeah, I've had a hole in one, not on a par three, but on a par four. Oh, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Can you play great. golf? I used to play it a little bit. A friend of mine was the uh, ball picker-upper guy at the driving range. So I used to just... Was that on his business card? <laughs> yeah. The ball picker-upper? Yeah. And so I used to go on the driving range and shoot a fair bit. I was never... I'm small. I can't hit it far. Our putting game was bad. Couldn't chip. You it's, know what though, like, but even someone like Rory McIlroy is not the the biggest golfer there is going around. Like he's only five foot nine, and Rory is the longest on the PGA Tour. So as much as I'm six foot five, it doesn't. It generally that. So Dan's just making excuses. <laughs> it's a bullshit excuse. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> All right, I'll now, try better. Look, I can't help but real. So we had Quinn and Lynch on the podcast not too long ago. Uh, maybe a, a little while back. And, and Lynchy, I know for a fact, he's having some trouble with his fingers. Now, you, mm. you're telling his story with some hands there. Can you give the Can't people a little bit of a it. look at that finger? Because yeah, well. that's not looking overly well. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got... That's not, that's not terrible. Yours is, yours is Lynchy-like. We'll I don't think you're going to be a, a hand model anytime soon. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, correct. Do you, do you still play golf? Yeah, look, and, the, and the reason is I haven't got it fixed. Many years ago, and I know the technology's changed and the operation, everything's probably got better, but when I, when I first finished playing football, they, they told me that, yeah, I could get it done, but it could be stuck straight. And I said, there's no way in the world, like if I'm playing golf and I didn't want my finger, it's that one there obviously, but I didn't want that, that finger was going to be stuck straight off the club. So... Look, I, I didn't. I don't really notice it as much as what everyone else does. I think it really come home to roost when I went on front bar, and like you can just be talking like this, you know. What I mean, and I don't. You don't even realise you're telling a story, but then obviously people picked up on it when you're watching front bar. And then once I looked at it, and then you know, it's one of those things that you don't see yourself, but yeah. then when you see it yeah. on there, and you go, yeah, no, it's pretty it's stuff. Like food in your teeth. What's that? It? Is that just footy? It was just a, you know, like the the classic when you go for the ball and the yeah. ball kept on hitting me on the end, end of the finger. Doink. Yeah, that real 
sort of dull, sickening type leaves, pain. Leaves your hand. Really, it's a it's a tendon. Some of the other ones I'd done where I'd actually dislocated it, and I became maybe a bit of an expert if I did. I knew how to pull them back in. You know, I mean, you don't pull it from the end. You sort of grab all the way down, and yeah. you can pull it back in. <laughs> Probably what we're seeing. Um, I know you're going over the USC, but did you see Doug Rose's finger on the weekend? I didn't, but did he pull it. Look up? it up, and then right. someone actually sent me a picture and goes, "See, someone's actually got a finger like yours." So <laughs> you wear a golf I share something in common with Doug Rose. <laughs> Do you wear a golf glove on that hand? Is that the hand you? No, nah, well, I'm left-handed, so it's right, right-handed, yeah. Right, but yeah, that was the reason at the time when they said. Um, yeah, you can get it fixed, but it could be stuck straight. And I said, no, nah, not for golf. And I, did, I, I just didn't want that for, for playing golf. What um, Do you remember your first car? It was sponsored here by Fleet Network. They're Novated Leasing Specialist. If you want a car, go sort yourself out there. Do you remember the first car you had? Uh, I think I got a, a VB Commodore. VB Commodore? VB Commodore. What's a which, VB Commodore? Um, Great. Imagine a VB Commodore. Even the VB and all those Commodores now would be worth an absolute fortune. Yeah. Um, what there was a was bit it? of a story to it because actually I was away on holidays and I actually bought it in Queensland. I'd only had it about 48 hours and I was parked on the side of the road and someone was drunk and ended up slamming into the car. So <laughs> I'd only had the car for 48 hours and in the, within 48 hours it was in the panel shop and I didn't get to drive back to <laughs> Melbourne. So what colour was it? Blue. I remember it was a blue. Baby blue. Baby blue. But um, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you love all those Commodores right now? Yeah, I mean, all those all those Commodores from the VBs. I think the the VL Commodores, the highly sought after one that um, I know a lot of people like. But yeah, they're worth a fortune, those cars now. We both know yeah. nothing about cars, but mm. we love Fleet Network. Yeah, of course. Uh, now, what's life like growing up for you, mate? What's your sporting family? Is you said, Like you said, you haven't been playing footy growing you know, into a 17-year-old. What, what's it like? I know you're a Collingwood supporter. Yeah, I was in the um, I was in the Collingwood cheer squad. Were um, you? Yep, yeah, I was. See, I'm different. Though. I've actually got my teeth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but look, I I grew up um, in a place called Gladstone Park. Played footy at West Meadows. Um, so West Meadows, um, for those that don't know, it's the same footy club that Dane Swan come from. So we've got a fair on-ball brigade for the team of the century. Uh, one's a Brownlow medalist and a couple of MVPs between us, but. Um, no, nah, look, I, I grew up playing footy at West Meadows and that was from when I was about five till I was about 13. And then, as I said before, yeah, discovered playing golf. And um, I think it was on the back of watching the US Masters one year and it was arguably, it's still to this day, one of the famous, most famous US Masters of all time, the one that Jack Nicholas won his final one. And I think of that, and, and of course, it was a, a precursor to things that were about to come. Greg Norman in that US Masters as well ended up birding, I think, 14, 15, 16, 17 and got to the 18th and then you go, hang on, can he birdie the last and win the whole thing? But no, he bogeyed and then that was the first of many heartbreaks of, uh, mm. of Greg Norman over the journey. But, yeah, it, but look, I was – people asked me um, – would I have been like, where do you think your golf would have gone? You have no idea. To borrow one of Dennis Pagan's lines, if you only had whiskers, you'd be your uncle. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but also, you don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. That, you know, I mean, look, around that time, um, as far as golf, like I, I got down to probably three at that oh. time. So to put it in the context, in Victoria, there were a couple of guys, there were only two people off scratch in Victoria. Whereas now with the handicap system, there's people playing on plus four, plus five, plus six, you know what I mean? So right. 
like in that old handicap system, it was way harder just to get to your handicap down the scratch. So for yeah, without letting the truth get in the way of a good story, I would have been off. I would have been off scratch. So Tiger Woods, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> now. Uh, you play golf to 17. How do you get back into footy? Like, how, how are you drafted and re, re Well, it was, footy? it was interesting because what happened is that um, we were in North Melbourne zone. So that was the last year of the under-19s. So everyone would have heard about the famous under-19s in, uh, in Victoria. And it was the last year of the under-19s and North Melbourne had the zone. And North Melbourne... So what I was still doing at that time, even though I was playing golf, I was playing school footy at Gladstone Park, just at high school. And North Melman took all the, the school games. And I think Greg Miller and Rowan Robinson, they, they would come out to those games, look at who was going well. And then the word fil filtered back to Dennis Pagan that, yeah, there's this skinny kid from Gladstone Park that you might want to talk into coming down. And I, I didn't want a bar of it. I, I, I was quite content with my existence where I was getting to play golf um, playing a bit of school footy, life's pretty happy. Mm. In the end, Pago um, annoyed the shit out of me and um, he actually got me at a weak moment. I, and, and there were several times he'd come out to our house in Gladstone Park and I remember, speaking of cars, Dennis had this silver Chimera. So he would come out to our house and I'd see the car coming down the court in Gladstone Park where we live and I'd go and hide in my bedroom. And <laughs> I'd say to mum, I'd go, listen, tell him I'm not home. I, like, So... In the end, he managed to get me. Um, he managed to get me. I think it was about round six or seven, nineteen ninety-one. And he um, he uh, he said to me, "He goes, look, you don't have to train on the Tuesday, which is I've learnt late is a big thing." He goes, "All you got to do is train Thursday, and then he goes, come and try play Saturday and see what happens, right?" So I went down Thursday. Remember Lance Williams that was then going to be one of Dennis's long-time assistants. He goes, listen, he doesn't do that for anyone, like where he compromises not training. And as I said, I've since found that out since he doesn't do that for a lot of people. So then I went down, played some Kilda at Arden Street in the under-19s on the Saturday. Um, I kicked five goals in the first quarter. And then <laughs> I kicked, ended up kicking 11. And then... Wow. Um, I remember Dennis said to me after the game, he goes, son, he goes, you, you probably won't kick 11 goals ever again. And guess what? He was right. <laughs> <laughs> so really that was, that was sort of it from there that I was in the system at North Melbourne. And, and those, that first little bit, I, I wasn't really that keen on, on playing football at all. Like I was, I was still really keen on golf, but it was only after a bit maybe, you know, in mean, the first, like that, that next year, what happened in 90, at the end of 91, North had the pick of, I think there are probably 10 under-19s players, right? And so, like, when you rattle off the list who North got the picket, like, there was myself, Glenn Archer, Stewie Anderson, um, Brad Scholl, Glenn Kilpatrick, Damien Hardwick. Like, there was a pretty good group that right. got to come through. This is on top of all the years before that, the group, the names that had come through the under-19s at North Melbourne were Wayne Swass, Craig Scholl, Wayne Carey, Anthony Rock. Like, they're all this... It was like a production line, that thing at North Melbourne, that, that would then form the nucleus of the 1996 Premiership. But, yeah, those first few years, I wasn't really keen on um, playing footy, but it, it was after the first few years I suddenly sort of went, hang on, I might be, I might be, half, I might be half good at this game and I'd better knuckle down at it. You came into an incredibly successful era of the North Melbourne Footy Club. You played in four prelims over seven years, you played in three grand finals, won two of them. And like you said, like the the core of players was incredible. Like mm. that, like 
you look at I think you look at sides across the journey and you've got you know Brisbane early 2000s you got Richmond in, in their period just gone you got Hawthorne and that North Melbourne side of uh, that period was incredibly successful. Like, what's that like coming in as a young player? Um, oh, look, I, I, I think when you look at look back in it, I think you're very lucky that, as you know, I think the stars aligned, uh, especially for North Melbourne at that time, to have so many people that came through the under-19s. But I think in any club, yeah, you want to go in and be successful, but to have that many like-minded people to happen to be at the one club at the one time was like was pretty lucky. The other thing that was maybe unlucky for Wayne Schimmelbush and then it was probably a massive turning point in the history of the North Melbourne Footy Club that North got beaten in a pre-season game. I think nine, it started in 1993 by 148 points. Holy shit. And by who? By Adelaide in Adelaide. So they sacked Wayne Schimmelbush and then Dennis Pagan was actually, he left North Melbourne at this they point. They sacked him in the pre-season. Wayne Schimmelbush, yeah. Wow. Well, they got beaten by 150 points. That's so brutal. But in the end, it turned out to be, like, again, it was a moment in a sliding doors moment that, um, yeah, Schimmer got the sack and all of a sudden um, Dennis Pagan was, he was coaching Essendon in the reserves at, um, in the, for their reserves team. And then all of a sudden Dennis ended up coaching North Melbourne and, um, look, North really kicked in 1993. Um, I think during that time, so 1993, North went right up the ladder at that time as well. For me personally, my year, like I, I just at the end of 1992, I sort of went, oh, I'll get serious at footy. And you talk about eat. I went from 87 kilos to 100 kilos in the preseason. Like I ate so much food, it was a joke. Like, it like was, what? What were you sitting down to eat at dinner time? Oh, I could, I couldn't. Most of the time, I couldn't eat dinner because I'd eat that much during the day. I'd try and eat a loaf of bread a day, and oh my gosh. like all these different things to try and bulk up. So then we get to, and I still remember this, and um, I still remember Australia Day, nineteen ninety three. We went on a camp to Puckapunyal. Remember on the Friday night going up on the bus, I had pains in the guts, and we all know when we get pains in the guts, you just go, oh, you yeah, know, no worries, I, I can sort of pass this through and yep. break wind and, and get rid of it. But then I really went downhill on the Friday night where I thought, like, I had no idea what was wrong with me at that point. Like, where I was up all night, going to the toilet. Remember the next morning, Wayne Swass and Sean Smith, they actually went to Wayne Schimmelwitz and said, listen, this young bloke hasn't slept. Um, so I went out, I still went out to where the boys were going to run. Shimmer and Johnny Law made me run back to the barracks. As soon as I ran back to the barracks, ran to the toilet again. Cut a long story short, short, it turns out by the time I got to Monday, I went back to Melbourne. I was meant to go to Guns N' Roses at Calder Park. <laughs> so I was filthy I was going to miss Guns N' Roses. <laughs> and um, it turns out I'd ruptured my appendix. So I went from that 100 kilos back to 87 within the, within the space of about five days. Wow. So 1993 for me, even though the club was on the up, I... I, I was chasing my tail and I think I ended up being emergency maybe about 10 or 12 times. But again, you think of who was in front of me in 1993, Wayne Carey, um, John Longmire, Alex Ashenko, Peter Mann. You know, I mean, had some pretty good bigs in front of me. And you were a forward then. Yeah, I was, for, I was always going to be forward ruck. But look, it's a lesson for anyone out there. I think once I got to the end of 1993 and I was going into 1994, I just went, you know what, I'm going to make myself that good. They have to play me. I'll make it their problem. You know, I mean, I think sometimes that 
young blokes, I mean, you can end up bitching and moaning to everyone else that, oh, I'm not getting a game because of this or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know what made me think like that. I think I just went, well, I don't want to hear you guys and your bullshit story about, oh, we can't play you because of this, this and this. I'll make it, I'll make you my problem that you'll play me first and then you go and tell them that story. So, yeah, that sort of led to 1994. and You won the Rising Star that year. Well, I didn't. In, it's still at the Wacker. You're ineligible. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, so I, tri- we- I tripped Jason Ball. I tripping by hand. They got rid of the following year, which was quite. I tell you, and again, it was like know, an instant report. I remember tripping was like an instantaneous report. It in, wasn't in a yeah. The the following year, they made tripping by hand just a fifty meter penalty, huh. um, which was and then it was quite funny. I ended up getting a German Shepherd a couple of years later, and I ended up calling the dog Subi. <laughs> <laughs> because I just went, well, hang on, I've got a link to Subiaco, so that's where <laughs> that's <laughs> so I called the dog Subi. Um, but no, look, the, the rising star was, um, look, all the ones you've rattled off, it, it, as you know, like they, in the end, they're only going to look good on your CV. If you, mm. I could have literally, I could have literally maybe, maybe won a grand slam before anyone else had ever got it. No one else in the history of the game could have ended up with what I could have potentially ended up with, like Rising Star, Rising Star, Norm Smith, Norm Smith, Brownlow Medal, Coleman, no, no Coleman. Jeez, I've got to pull my finger out. Come on, mate. <laughs> but I know actually remind me of the Brownlow Medal story because I know you're going to go there. But I've actually got a funny story. I have got a Brownlow Medal, by the way. Really? I'm not going to go there yet because I know that you're we'll going to come. Actually, we'll remind me about a medal that I have got. <laughs> When you, when you tripped, did you know straight away, like, oh, no, that was bad? Or... Yeah, no, I did, because I'll tell you what was a rarity, that I was actually chasing someone. So <laughs> um, so I was chasing Jason Ball out of the forward line, and, um, you know, I just got, like, it was just a, like an ankle tap type thing. The only, like, and look, the only cool thing was um, you get a week, and then, um, yeah, what happened later in the year, I remember Jared Healy and some of the other judges, they come to me and said, listen, if you were in it, you would have won it by a mile. But yeah. Again, can't, once you know you're not going to win it, well, what do you say? You know what I mean? And, it, and look, at that time, I think you just focused, like, even though it was a year in, in the seniors and I was playing some good footy, you still, you know what I mean? You still want to just make sure that you're becoming a regular senior fixture. You're probably not even that concerned about individual awards at that point. What's life like under Dennis Pagan? Um, then and through your career? Oh, look, I, I, I think... The best way to describe it, like it was always super intense. Um, I think the best thing that like Dennis always brought to the table, and it was no, um, it was no surprise to me that Dennis ended up being a winning a, a horse trainer. You know what I mean? Because we all knew if you if you talk about one thing indelible mark he's ever left on me about preparation. You know what I mean? Like about preparing to the nth degree, and that that would be the number one thing he would have left us with, like. I can still rattle off and I know that we'll cover it later, even with what I do with Walk With Me, where we talk about looking after yourself from a physical and mental point of view. I, we had a checklist at North Melbourne that it was it was scary. Would you go through and rate yourself out of 10 every week? Probably not. But when you played shithouse, it's amazing the correlation when you go through and you might have something like this where you go, your weights, your diet, your lifestyle away from your club, your extra skill sessions – all these things, and it's amazing when you haven't played a good game that you'll go, hang on, yeah, how was my training? Yeah, I probably didn't train that much. Or I, I mucked around. Or it's amazing when you 
when you played bad and then you use that thing as a reference point, how much like it can get you back on track or yeah, get you back into form. Hmm. Was he? A, could he give a good cook? Was he? A, yeah, he like he or, was like I, I'd heard stories of some of the the bakes that he'd given in the under nineteens that in today's environment, wow, you you couldn't even you can't even repeat some of the things he said publicly yeah. now. Any samples? Um, <laughs> Do you get? Oh, any? No, but look, like, I think like were you, were you like were you on the end of any? I feel like Ruckman in my time, Ruckman were always a pretty easy target. You're you're always no look I look and I I've got a great relationship with Dennis now, and I think. Um, and again, this is not sort of bullshit talk or anything like that. I think because I always said with Dennis, and even I know we'll get to it later, that when I left North Melbourne and went to Carlton, I only left not because I didn't like him. It's just because I didn't. we weren't getting the best out of one another. Mm. And because I'd always maintained that line, I've, I've got a really good relationship with him now. But yeah, like there were different times. I, I, and again, I... I'm I'm great with him now, but maybe one of my biggest regrets is that I I, I didn't tell him to piss off or you know I mean go on that extra level like a, a Wayne Carey or Glenn Archer would. You know what I mean? They they would really have a crack at him. But whereas I probably just sort of towed the line a bit and just sort of went with it. But it's probably it would have been interesting to see how it would have gone that if I had basically told him where to go. You know mm. what I mean? He, he might have changed his tune with sometimes. Because, again, he was pretty intense the way he used to go about it. How did he respond when the other guys would go back at him? Yeah, I, and again, the guys I'm talking about are probably – they're yeah. probably going to say that to anyone. Let yeah. alone <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about Glenn Archer and yeah. Wayne Carey. We're not talking about the shrinking violets of the team. <laughs> <laughs> so, 93, you play your first game. 94, you played a losing prelim to Geelong. 95, you lose a prelim to Carlton. Mm. So I'm talking about this successful year for you. You go into 96, you, you won. You effectively won the Rising Star in 94. 96, um, you've kind of, you, 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 you're basically starting ruck, but you're going ruck forward as well. And like 96 is a huge, huge year. It, it ends in a premiership, you're MVP of the league, mm. and you you win the Brownlow with an asterisk next to your name. Like it, that that year, if you talk about preparation, you must have, that doesn't just happen. You're 23, you're 22 22, yeah. That's that's an incredible year. I do have a laugh. Like, if something that makes me laugh nowadays when they say, oh, Ruckman, they're, when they're 22, they're too young, they've got to develop. I'm like, <laughs> that's interesting. Off. <laughs> you know what? And, and I think, and again, I know we're talking about the intense side of Dennis Pagan, but you know what? Like, in some way, you know what it's like. If you tell people they've got time, guess what? They're going to take the time. But if you say, no, now's the time. Mm. Like, now's as good as any. Like, I was 22, Matty Capuano was 21. Mm. Like, you could have every reason to go, what, do you reckon we ever thought, oh, we're too young? Like, so I never subscribed to that theory, but, um, yeah, because I I just know at that time, Dennis would never let you think that way. Like, I I just reckon when you're in there, you're in there. You're ready to go. If you've prepared and you've done everything possible, you're, you're there to perform. Like, no bullshit excuses, no, oh, you're only young and... You just take your time. Like, imagine if we had been told that during that time. You're there to win, win the flag. That's why you're successful, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So what, what did you do at the end of 95 into 96 that was, I mean, obviously elevated your game so much? I, I look, but I also think it was a, it was a stepping stone, as you, you guys had mentioned, like 94 and 95. You, you'd had some, like, 94 was, was shattering that you got beaten after the siren by Geelong and we would have played West Coast in the grand final, which... 
that might have been the ultimate Kerry Jakovic yeah. to decide it all. Can you imagine that? that you imagine the build-up for that in the grand final? Over here would have been bananas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so really, it was a culmination of those like those years that I, I don't know. I, I sort of nearly subscribed to the theory a little bit that you nearly got to pay your dues a little bit that you mm. you get a taste of it and then you really get that. I, I, I think it gives you that extra level where you're a bit angry and pissed off and you've got a bit of a chip on your shoulder going into it. So 96, you sort of felt like the whole year that we were ready, locked and loaded. I, like I never not thought we were going to win it in 96. Like we were so ready, it wasn't funny. And from a personal point of view, um, the other one that he'd only come to North Melbourne, I think maybe in 1995, uh, maybe going into night it was David Butterfant. So David Butterfant, um, for people out there, you might know the name. He he was our fitness guy at North Melbourne, but he ended up going to Collingwood with um, Mick Malthouse and right. Butters. Uh, and, and I've only seen Butters recently as well. And I told him, I said the influence he had on my, never mind all the train like uh, all the people that you train with. And again, to digress a little bit, like even if people ask me about Wayne Carey, right? The, the thing that is the number one thing that's underrated about Wayne Carey was the way that he trained and prepared. Hmm. Like, yeah, he was the opposite to Jacko that he didn't miss a weekend where he did not have a beer. Yes. Like, it's interesting hearing the different dynamics of Jacko. He would have his drink on New Year's Eve, but then after that, he would not drink All again yep. until the footy season was finished. Wayne Carey was the opposite. <laughs> it's quite funny. I love when he tells us. You, I think you've heard, if you heard him tell the story where Duck will tell the story, he goes, yep, he goes, the, the parallels with us, how eerily similar we were. He goes, yep, we both played about 270-odd games. Yeah, we're both the same. Yes, we both won four best and fairest. And yes, uh, we both got two premierships. And there's all these, we're exactly the same. I think the part where he said, he goes, oh, yeah, I've got three kids, three different partners. He's got three or four girls. That's different. <laughs> um, but then he said, he goes, you know where we were different? He goes, every weekend, he goes, I, I, I always had a beer. But mm. to even put that in the context, though, and again, you guys wouldn't have even understood this over here. It was, again, without talking about incidents that happened then down the track, it was the one thing with North Melbourne that, we had the worst facilities in the competition, like by maybe the length of Flemington Strait. But the one thing that we were great at was that, again, to give an example, if we, with the footy trip, we would have 35 to 38 blokes go on the footy trip. You know, but I'm not advocating at any time that you're going to go away and get drunk and all this stuff. I think that's the only the biggest, yeah, that's going to happen, by the way, on the footy trip. <laughs> but. I reckon Australian sport is vastly different to every other sport in the world. Like you think of American sports, right? Yeah. When we're talking about American sports um, before. Australians, like we could work with one another and then I could think Will's a dickhead, but then I could have a couple of beers with him and then go, hang on, he's actually not a bad bloke. It's not only that how you form a relationship with someone then, it's when you then go to training then the next occasion that you can have that banter and connection and isn't it amazing? Carlton, I couldn't agree more. What, yeah. what do you reckon Carlton did this year? Yeah, they got naked when, in the lake and got on the piss. When the campfire had a beer, because in the end, I think you can be so mechanical. Oh, don't get me wrong. I was meticulous with my preparation, but when I found I really needed to turn it around, I got it out of whack. Like I needed to, I wouldn't have a beer. I'd never ever drink during the week, but... On a Friday night after a Friday night game or 
on a Saturday, 100% I'd have a beer. So it's funny, like even with someone like Wayne, he was and, – and again, you've got to work out your own preparation and what you need to do to play well. But it's interesting with Djakovic and Carey that you had two guys that were at their prime that were just – Polar opposites. They were very similar in a lot of ways, but there was that one side of it that Jacko probably felt I needed to do that to give him my edge, whereas – I don't know why Wayne did his. <laughs> <laughs> if he was too straight and narrow, maybe he wouldn't have been uh, as good. No, he wouldn't have been. What was it like um, then going out, like Wayne and his peak powers? Is he, are crowds just around no, him? No, look, I, and again, like I know at different times, like Wayne's um, maybe brought a lot of stuff on himself, like with his different things over the journey. But I always say this, that, and again, people in Perth, are, I would hope, have had this experience with Wayne Carey. And I I would like to think even I've learnt a lot of him that when he's out and if people come up to him, he will always talk to people and he will always have an autograph. Like I've never seen him knock back anyone, ever. Like, and someone might bob up and say, yeah, he did it once. Well, I don't know, but yep. every time, and I reckon I've been with him enough over the journey <laughs> that when people have come up and they're polite, Wayne, can I have a photo? Now, I've seen different AFL players over the journey that just go flat out no, which I, I don't subscribe to, mainly because I've probably seen Wayne and seen how great he is with people. Like I yeah. like to think if anyone asks me and they're polite, I've heard Wayne say that. You go, yeah, if they're polite, well-mannered, no worries, mate, have a photo. How much does that hurt to say that? And I know that Wayne, even to answer your question during his superstardom, I'm telling you, he did that to a man every single time we could be to anywhere we'd go if someone came up to him never ever saw him knock back one ever so i don't know i, I know he can get a bad rap about a lot of things and i think at certain times he might have brought upon himself but that's why I, I i probably i probably used to get frustrated at him sometimes like when it's the the one or two percent that brings undone the 98 percent but mind you when the two percent <laughs> he mucks it up, he does a good and proper. <laughs> but you know what I mean? 98% of the time, if I had to take him into Will's Footy Club or you, or any club that we're involved in, I know what I'm getting. I know, I'd know i rather take him every day of the week because in the end, yes, it's him, but I know that he's, he's really good with people. Let's bring it back to 96. Um, as we said, you win the MVP award, um, so that mustn't have anything to do with being suspended, but you win the Brownlow. So Brownlow is the Monday after the prelim. Mm. In the prelim, you did your PCL. Yeah. So do you go to the Brownlow medal? No. No, we um, – and again, we will get my, my dog, Subi, into this story, um, the German <laughs> Shepherd. No, well, look, on the look, as you know, you don't get invited to go to the Brownlow medal. I was living in Ascot Vale in, uh, in Melbourne, which is very, very close to the showgrounds in Melbourne. So – uh, living in Ascot Vale, I lived with Matty Capuano and Stewie Anderson. It was probably your typical clubhouse, as you can imagine, Will. 22-year-old. 22-year-olds. just Eating two-minute noodles for dinner. And <laughs> no, I, I think I, I was usually the chef in our house at that point. <laughs> but anyway, Brownlow Medal Night, I think it was me, Matty Capuano, Stewie Anderson. Stewie might have had his girlfriend there. So we all just sat around and I, I was... I think there's that famous footage of me sitting on the ground, icing my knee. There's a camera in there. No, well, look, so what happened, we started off with the Brownlow and the Brownlow count comes on and, of course, we're going to watch it. 
it is it is it is funny when you're actually watching an event at home in your tracky decks and you become the star attraction like <laughs> it was actually funny so comes up round one um i think what happened we played st kilda peter bell got one vote wayne carey got two votes c mckernan three votes asterisk right big asterisk too <laughs> but then because the, you know yes so then what happened is that one of my mates who was there muzz andrew murray he muzz then said I then became Asterix for the night. So what happened? I'm sitting there with my mates. Round two, I don't know who we play, but I've got another three votes. Oh, Asterix, another three votes. So this all went on for, kept going on and on. After about six, seven, eight rounds, I'm sitting on, like I'm leading the Brownlow medal, right? So it was all fun and games. And then what happened, I think my phone started going nuts. Then um, I think Channel 7 they might have said, oh, can we come in? And I said, yeah, you guys can come in. But then after that, that's it. I'm going to shut it down, take the phone off the hook. So then what happened, there's that footage where Channel 7 came in, got the footage of me sitting at home, me icing my knee, showing the, the Brownlow medal count in the corner. So then once I let Channel 7 out of the house, in my front garden at Ascot Vale, I put Subi, the... German Shepherd. The German Shepherd and put the dog in the front garden so no one else could get in the house. So when they were trying to, if they were going to try and knock on the, the, the door, they couldn't because Subi was guarding the house. <laughs> so, oh, look, it was, um, again, now, and I have told this other part before, so then went on the rest of the night and I knew what games. I, I was pretty accurate where they'd say to me, how'd you go in this game? And I'd go... Yeah, I reckon I got votes or I didn't or whatever. You, as you know, you got a feeling. Not, not, not with me. I had two votes my whole career, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then, look, they're asking me a different round. So then this sort of bit of panic, actually, the only time in the whole night where a bit of panic came out going to round 22, right? And this is Last the, round. This is the only thing. I was more dirty about this than the actual brown line itself, and you know what I'm talking to with what I'm about to say. Okay. So it comes up round 22, we have to beat Richmond to get the double chance, right? So first half against um, Richmond, I'm playing on Justin Charles. It's really even, like there's 65, 70,000. Richmond are trying to win to make the finals at that point, which right. was not a new occurrence. Yeah. So then the <laughs> Tigers Whack to the Tigers. So then the Tigers up until halftime kept with us, but the second half we literally blew them away. Like, we well and truly ran away with the game, did it easy, one by five, six goals, right? So then they asked me, they go, how'd you go in this? And I go, I reckon I've got votes in this game. And they go, really? I said, yeah, it was pretty even up until half time. But then when we put the foot down, I said, I reckon I stood up and did enough that I reckon I got a pretty good handle on it. So then we get to the votes. So then it comes up, I think, one vote, Peter Bell, Two votes, Justin Charles. Three <laughs> votes, Wayne Carey. And I'm like, I've blown up and virtually tipped the – you know what it's like when you play on someone. That's like if you were playing a drinking game around someone's house. They go, ha, ha, that was your opponent. But I'm sitting there and I'm like they're, – they're like, oh, Corey, you've just lost a brown. I'm like, no, fucking I'm playing on Justin Charles. And not that – again, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist, right? I yes. saw – an article written by Mike Sheen, and I spoke to Mike Sheen about this. So Mike Sheen in the paper, 
I'm not saying what's in the what's in the paper is true. Whatever we all know that will. Yeah. Mike Sheen in the paper actually gave me two or three votes in that game, which I uh, and again the thing I'm still dirty about <laughs> is the fact that you're not I'm, dirty about losing the brown. No, like, we're you're, not dirty about that. You're dirty. The, your opponent got votes. so then it reminded me so. The following night at training, so when we get back to that story, I was going to tell before. So I actually have got a Brownlow medal at home, believe it or not. Like, I actually have got one because McDonald's in 1996, if you went and bought a meal deal at McDonald's, you had the choice of, you know, when you go and you're like the kids well, happy me- Happy meal. Effectively, if you bought a happy meal in 96, but what you could get is that you could decide you could get a, a Coleman medal, a Norm Smith medal, all these different medals. So Wayne Kerr and Anthony Rock went to McDonald's on the way to training on the Tuesday night, a, bra- a grand final week. <laughs> and they actually got me a, a Brownlow medal with a blue and white ribbon through it. And they presented it to me at training on the Tuesday night, which I still have that medal now. Do you? And the reason, and I've said to people with the greatest respect to the Brownlow, but for me, it also typified what North Melbourne was about at that time to get something off of Wayne Carey and Anthony Rock and all of us that were so close together. Now, I know that financially winning the Brownlow may be a better better way to go, Will. <laughs> may have cost a few sportsman's nights over the journey. <laughs> um, but, no, nah, look, I, and again, I wouldn't um, – you talk about – and I know we're talking about it often – we're talking about it off air about this, and I think it just goes to showing life. I think when you've got an unbelievably big why, and my – big why for 1996 was about I wanted to win a premiership medallion for my mates so Lades, Darren Crocker, Ian Fairley, Sholey, people had been at North Melbourne forever Mm. and when you've got that driving on I'm more proud of the fact the way I handled as you mentioned I was only 22 years old so I had my posterior cruciate um so then have the Brownlow medal happen on the Monday I didn't train on the Tuesday Wednesday I went into Vimy House, had 40 mils of blood drained out of my knee. They they said it, Harry Unlick said at that point, he goes, oh, I don't know whether it's a really good idea you play. And I probably said, Harry, that's, I'm, I gave Harry some pretty direct feedback. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. Thanks, for, <laughs> Thanks for your feedback. <laughs> but then to have training on the thir- trained on Thursday, grand final parade, and then still come out in the grand final and have 31 possessions in the in the grand final, to be able to... That's why I still love Grand Final Week now because for me, yeah, I know I didn't win the Brownlow medal, but mate, it was 22 years old and I had the entire world thrown at me and to still come out and play well when all the marbles were on the line, that that's better than winning the Brownlow. Like I know that – and we you win the premiership. That's, that's exactly why you did it, you know what I mean? So I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. Not having ever spoken to you and really haven't heard you speak about it at all, I kind of assumed that would be the case, but I mean, some people would be like, "Well, fuck me, I want a, I want a Brownlow." But that premiership, having having won one, and not that I was ever a chance to win a Brownlow, and I'm talking ever, <laughs> but any individual accolade, like once 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 it's all done and dusted, it may as well go in the bin, really. You know what? The only the only time, and I say this with hand on heart, like I said, I wouldn't trade the whole experience of the way I handled it. Like, I was 22 years old. Like, you could have easily turned your toes up and not yeah. got a kick. The only time I've ever thought that 
I, I would say we, because there is another person that has actually won the Brownlow like me and didn't get it, and that's Chris Grant. And I said yep. that the only time we, where I thought we were stiff was last year. And Patrick Cripps is one of my favourite players. Charlie, Charlie Kerno is my, my new favourite. Um, but Patrick Cripps, one of my favourites, right? But when he, got off, when he got two weeks and then got off and got it back to zero, I actually went... Yeah, I think we're a little bit stiff here. Because that was that was like that was one of the first times where I've thought, you know what? Like you talk about the fact of oh, we're upholding the integrity of the Brownlow and all this other stuff that goes with it, but you got two weeks. To zero. To zero. We what? had a, That's we, unheard we, got, of. we got a week. So you got a week for kneeing John Barnes in the back of the head? Yeah. Was which, he playing for Essendon or Geelong then? Uh, Geelong. So I was a Geelong man. Like, and I, and it's funny when we went in there, and because it's Barnsley, like, as much as Barnsley made it really hard to play on him, because at different times, yeah, you wanted to kill him, but you just couldn't because he's actually, you know what he's like? He's just a lovable rogue. It's hard. <laughs> so when you go into the tribunal, like, I remember going in there and Barnsley and I half looked like he's got that grin on his face, and, you, and you're thinking, like, I never thought at one point I was actually going to get suspended. Right. But when you go in there, and then they either say, I forget the term they use, it's either, oh, it's been upheld. And I'm, I'm still going, when they said it, I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, I'm, I'm, am I off? Am I not? And they go, no, you've got a week. Because he, look, he looked after you, didn't he? Bit of well, a player's code. Yeah, so here's the thing. On that tribunal board, I'm thinking Emmett Dunn, of all people. So I don't know whether people remember Emmett Dunn. He played for Richmond. He's about six foot five, big, clumsy defender. And I'm thinking, when I walked into the tribunal, I'm going, well, hang on, if anyone's going to have any empathy about it was this clumsy what I did, I would have thought Emmett Dunn. Like, <laughs> he you, gets it. He's not exactly great on his feet when I saw him play for <laughs> Richmond. But I don't know. It was, yeah, like I think I was more in shock like of what had happened because there was no malicious intent in it. Like, And again, so there's another th reason why I shouldn't have chased people down the ground. I only did it twice and look, what it, look where it got me, Will. Yeah, lost, a, <laughs> lost a rising star. <laughs> but you know what? Like when you – I tell you what, for those that remember 1996 and um, I actually – and I didn't get a response, not that you always expect a response, but for those that remember 1996 in April, the US Masters in April, Greg Norman – was up by six shots going into the final round and lost by five, right? Just had a howl. And the way that he handled the whole losing the Masters, I, like I, I definitely know, not that I thought I was Greg Norman or anything like that, but I know the way that he handled it. I remember when I got suspended at the time and even in and around that period, I know, I, I think I did try and sort of, take on some of the things that he'd done and go, well, hang on, you knew you couldn't win it for a hell of a long time and there's bigger fish to fry here. So hmm. it was probably the, yes, like I said, I, I'd never trade anything for the way I handled that week because when you, again, I use that terminology that I, I pretty much had the world thrown at me and to be able to then come through at the end of it and you have 31 possessions, you may be stiff if you didn't win the Norm Smith wheel. <laughs> Who won thought. it? Nah, look, look, I think you could have thrown a blanket over. There was Glenn Archer, Anthony Rock, me, you know, I mean, a number of players that could have won it. So, Did uh, you, um in, later in that season in 96, did you think like, man, I, I would be a chance of the Brown Low? Like, did, did, did that ever cross your mind? You don't, look, and it, uh, nah, to answer your question, no, you, you Never, I didn't. Even, it's like it didn't even cross your mind because we were so 
single-minded during that year after what had happened in the previous few years. It was like the, to be honest, the Brownlow medal had really stuck up on us all. Like, you know what I mean? All of a sudden it's there and, oh, well, hang on, we're, we're in the grand final. I don't think you ever, I don't think you ever do. Like, probably unlike um, the likes of Bontempelli and Dacos and these guys that they they, they probably yeah. look forward to it now. <laughs> mm. And really, like the Brownlow, what I think, um, as far as with the Brown, I think we're going to find a more even way of like finding the the best player anyway. Like I think it's it's grossly unfair that if you're a defender, like the defenders, the great jobs they do in the game. I'm not saying it to be a suck, but <laughs> but we're loving what yeah, you're saying. Doing. I know, but it is bullshit when you think about it. That there is, I think nowadays the days are gone of the Greg Williams type game where you have forty possessions. There was a famous game he had. I yes. think 1993, he might have had 40 possessions and kicked a couple of goals and didn't get a vote. Yes. You know that's impossible nowadays. If, you, if you're if you a midfielder nowadays and you have 30 and you kick two, you may as well just put a three next to your name. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ladies and gentlemen, kick off the footy season at the Leaderville Hotel, our new favorite local, Dan. Oh, yeah. They're a hub for live sports. I knew that would excite you. With four big screens, a gigantic five-meter sky screen, in the beer garden. Have you seen that one? No. It sounds like a cinema. Okay. Well, we were there last week. You should have looked. And a shiny purple tab touch facility. Great place for a pint, a cheeky punt, and a good old-fashioned pub feed. That's got something for you, mm, I reckon, somewhere. I love somewhere. pub food. Yes, you do. You can catch the best of the AFL and the local codes live and loud in the pub and enjoy Siren to Siren specials during all the big matches. Most importantly, every Dockers. Mm-hmm. And... Eagles games. Yes, that's right. You can see them lose every game live and local oh, believable. No, they're going to be better this year. I'm sure they are. There's specials though, Dan. You can drown your sorrows. $8 pints of their in-house brewed Leedy Local Larder. $8 pint. That is correct. $10 pints of Pale Ale from our good friends at Shelter Brewing. It's my favorite beer of theirs. It's actually very, very good. $10 pints. That's actually cheap as. $10 cheeseburgers. Okay. Fillet of fish would have been better, but that's okay. One kilo of wings for 20 bucks. We both like wings. Mm, love them. And I like them when they're cheap. The Leaderville train station is just a couple of stops down from the Optus Stadium. Mm-hmm. So if you are heading into the stadium, or if you're coming home from the stadium, you may as well call in the Leedy for a couple of pints. It's less stops that you have to be amongst a thousand people on a train. Correct. And then you can make your way home to wherever you live up north somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Check out the details on their website or on Instagram, theleadablehotel.com.au. We're working on some massive events this year between Backchat and the Leadable Hotel, so stay tuned for those, Dan. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter the impact you have on the game because I, I don't know. I, again, I, I would the way I would define the best players their impact on yeah how they on on the team winning the actual game. Don't look at their stats. I think you got to. And again, I don't even know what the solution is. Is it someone out? Because you come off the ground, you know, it's like you don't even know who's played well. Yeah. Most of the time, you're so engrossed in the game. Correct. I, I don't know how they do it. And the only way, in fairness to the umps, they can do it is by looking at the stats. And then, the, like I said, the days are done. 
if you have 25 to 30 possessions now as a mid and you kick two or three goals, you might as well just pencil mm. in. If, if a defender played on Charlie Kerno and kicked him, kept him to no goals, he's not getting three votes, but he is the most important player on the ground. The best player. I would. Yeah, I'll tell you what I love to see, and I think there's nowhere. And and they actually spoke about they'd spoken about this, and how they would view it that it come from something like bounce. But having a Danny Frawley type award for the best defender, I think would be one of the best things that the Brownlow you could ever do. Backchat Backman Award. We gave it away this year. We gave it to Jack Buckley, GWS Giants. No one would give him credit. He was in the most one-on-one contests this year. He won the highest percentage of those. He may or may not have let the spoils this year as well. He did what Backman should, and we awarded it to him. I think What's look, he get? I, I think it is, it's wrong if we're going to have goal of the year, mark of the year. It's like, hang on, are we only doing awards forward or centre? Mm. Holy shit. That's very true. Like, I, I, yeah, have you, you've been listening I know, to Backchat. I feel like you've been no, listening no, to Backchat. I've been speaking I, about this all year. I know, but I'd hate to talk common sense. Are we, are we, are we only playing half grand now? Like Nick Dacos is, is, a, is a backman. The fuck up. <laughs> but I don't know. And again, like that, like when you look back at it, it's like it, you'd love to know the stats of even someone like Glenn Jakovic over the journey. Like the, how many Brownlow votes would Jacko have gotten? Mm. Don't know. Like in today's environment, would he get hardly any? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So there you go. So you win the flag in '96 and '99. What's the talk to me about? You, you speak about it and and. You gotta understand, you know, I've been coached by Adam Simpson for a fair part of my career, so I do know that that drinking and and I, I have the same attitude as you. Um, never missed a footy trip. I organised a lot of the footy trips, and I felt like drinking wasn't about drinking; it was about connecting with your teammates mm. in a in a different environment than the footy field. So, what was winning flags like in a, in a club that really valued hanging out with each other and having a beer? Um. I don't know whether there was any much difference between us winning the flag and <laughs> just normal when Friday we didn't night. like it. Well, and again, I know that there were other clubs that would actually catch up. Like I know Matthew Lloyd and James Herb might have sought counsel with Wayne Carey and said, why are you blokes so close? Again, you couldn't manufacture it. Um, and I tell you, it's one of the things that when I, when I think back on it, that, and again, Simo was also responsible for this of, the culture at North Melbourne being continued on. Yeah, we had like Craig Scholl, Wayne Carey, that era in terms of us being connected together. Obviously, there was a little pause in between with something that happened. Mm. Um, but I tell you, like from really that Anthony Stevens onto Adam Simpson, then onto Drew Petrie, then onto Brent Harvey, that that, that torch was being passed all the way through about. It's and again, I get very frustrated when people talk about shinbone spirit because it's the most misword used in the in the football dictionary. There's no such bloody thing. Like during the nineties, did anyone ever say, "Oh, they've got shinbone spirit"? <laughs> did they ever say that because we were kicking everyone's ass? No. <laughs> but it's more the what I would classify, and I've I've spoken to different people at North Melbourne about this. It's more the way you go about it as a North Melbourne person and what they're sort of tapping back into now it's as a north melbourne person it's the no excuses no alibis we don't care who you are we, we expect to take the game on and we, we expect to beat you that that sums up north melbourne when north have got that right and you can even take that back to the 1970s you think of seeing that for those that have seen it when you see that footage of north melbourne during the 70s they were brash they were bold they'd take the game on what happened during the 90s they they did exactly the same thing you had the 
take the game on. And mind you, you've got the cattle there of a David King, Wayne Swass or Brent Harvey or these sorts of guys to run and go with the ball. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when you think about it. Do they need that back? Because yeah. you, you, you said that maybe we've, we've got, they, a, bit, we got a bit of, we got a bit of an issue for a while, North and, Melbourne, um, West Coast. I choose the words carefully. I think there was people at North Melbourne for a while that didn't really get what North Melbourne was about. Um, I know David King might have called a particular person a visitor when they were at North Melbourne, but I don't know. Look, North Melbourne, for those that don't know, as you know, every football club's unique. Like There'd be certain things about West Coast that I wouldn't understand as opposed to if when you're at North Melbourne. Um, I think they're getting really good at what, what what makes North Melbourne tick is whether you're an administrator or as a player, you roll your sleeves up, you get the job done. As I said, no excuses, no alibis. And if we work our asses off, we expect to beat the best. That mm. sums up North Melbourne. And I think to a large degree, Clarko's bringing that mantra back into North Melbourne in a big way. Is it turning, turning a lot slower than what we want? But I think you can see the green shoots there with what they're doing. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time. I think they'll – we've both got great footy clubs, mate. Like when you really think about it – and I know people were saying with that North and West Coast game when I come over to Optus Stadium this year, you're talking about storied organisations that over the journey as fans – and I'm a fan and you're a fan of West Coast now – they've had a good run. <laughs> they've had a really good run. If you're a West Coast fan – You've won four flags in what? Is it twenty five years? Dan? Yeah, since it's ninety two. I've been alive for four of them. Some people <laughs> so have in been. Th- what are we? That's thirty one years, right? Yes. You're winning a flag every seven seven years. Yes, it's a pretty good pretty good run. Even North Melbourne fans. Okay, I get that the last few years haven't been flash, but since the nineteen seventies, you've won four flags since the nineteen seventies. Now I know. Okay, you'd like to win more. Collingwood's only won two during mm. that time. So it's not, you know, I mean, and, and I do subscribe to that theory and I've, I've said this several times and I've had to say this several times, nothing's ever as good as it seems and nothing's ever as bad as it seems. And you know who else says that? Who's that? Adam Simpson. He probably does. He blokes all, <laughs> you know, cut from the same cloth. No, no, somewhere. I've never heard Dennis say that, but I, I remember someone did say that in the media and I thought there's never a truer word said that you think if you're a West Coast fan and if, 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 if it is Harley Reid that comes here, I saw the effect this year of having Harry Sheasel. Mm. You know I mean, even in that last game at Optus Stadium where Harry Sheasel was unbelievable in that last quarter and then you go, on, yeah, we didn't win, but how good is it to go to the footy? And you know what? As fans, all we want, you just want hope. Yeah. That's yeah, all, that is all you want. If, if, if you have hope and they have an almighty crack, you don't care. Like there were even there were a couple of close West Coast games that – you're going, you know what, if, if they do that every week and you lose, I don't care. I literally don't care. I know that we're not going to win the flag, but if they're having a real red-hot crack, you actually, you're not, you're not fussed. But it's just mm. the other ones when you're, you're having a few hundred-point losses that are going to test the result. <laughs> Shout out West Coast. <laughs> but I tell you, look, just yeah. in regards to Simo, um, I would, even out of all the captains I probably pay, played with under the journey, now Wayne Carey was more the leader of the, I'm going to take you with me type leader, you know what I mean, by actions. I'll tell you, from a – it's no surprise to see Simo turn into the coach he does and maybe that's how you know him for having the care and interest that he leaves no stone unturned. And the, the only thing I was from afar looking at him this year, and I hope he is right, is that for those West Coast fans out there, he would have no off button. 
that's the only thing I'd worry about that he's looking after himself from a physical and more importantly from a mental point of view because I, the Adam Simpson I know would not stop thinking of ways how he would make that club better. And even at North Melbourne during that time when he was captain, the amount of things, he'd, he'd come up with ways, oh, how are we going to make the, the games room better? Like, how are we going to make all... It'd just be non-stop about what are the ideas I can get to make this place a better place and a better environment. Just that the environment at West Coast, he's got more toys to play with. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah, but look, I, I, I think, yeah, you just know that's all you... I watched him from afar this year and I was just hoping to go, you know what, I hope Nicky, his wife, and obviously we'd known him from North Melbourne and the kids and... I just hope he's having an, an off button. You know mm. what I mean? What's he doing to have a break, to get away from it all, just to look after himself? Because I know what Simo's like. He just non-stop. He'd be just thinking all the time, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to get it better? Having to chat to you once a week as well. Yeah, that wouldn't have been the highlight of his week. I can tell you that right now. Um, so 96, 99 premierships, clearly career highlights. Um, towards the back end of your first stint at North Melbourne, how, how does that eventuate you being traded away from the footy club to Carlton? Because you well, do I, sound like you're a North Melbourne man. You get traded, so let's get that straight. I made a decision to leave. What, um, sorry, what, so what's the, what's that called? You left. I left. The, when you decide to leave, when I asked for a trade, I didn't get traded. There's a bit difference. If we're playing blackjack, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Okay. You requested a trade. Yeah, I did. They look, did. and as I said, yeah. look, it, it had come. I just felt like the environment I was in wasn't really good for me playing my best or I wanted a different environment. Um, I think at the end, yeah, so went to Carlton. First five or six games at Carlton, I was actually, I was pretty horrible, even though I trained my ass off in the pre-season, whatever, and I told this story the other day for a walk with me function that I still remember I had this real horrible night at the MCG now. Excuse me. Um... This is the shelters actually catching up. Yeah, burping on me now. Um, now I know in today's environment, everyone says about getting booed, right? So yeah, getting booed, I reckon is nearly like a badge of honour, right? Yes. I'll tell you what's worse, when you get the Bronx cheer from your own fans, mm. that's worse. And I told that uh, story the other day at a walk with me function. I said, if you ever want to be really shattered and you want to feel lower than shark shit, that is the worst because it was a Friday night at the MCG. We played Carlton. When you're getting Bronx cheers from your own fans... You were playing Carlton. Who'd you play? No, you were, we were Carlton. We were playing Essendon. Essendon. Um, which was even worse for me because I can't stand Essendon. <laughs> and so then I remember after the... Uh, I still remember the moment in the rooms after the game where everyone else had gone home. I was with the Dr. Phil Perlstein who shares the same medical clinic as Harry Unlick who was a North Melbourne doctor. So I sort of had a pretty good relationship with him I remember I remember bursting into tears in the room and I just said Phil I can't I don't know what to do and I think all I decided boys was like that was nearly like the rock bottom where I went well hang on I'm doing everything right here I'm busting my ass I, like I, I think all I decided to go I'm just gonna go back old school here I think I went out Friday night <laughs> I went out Saturday night <laughs> I might have even gone out Sunday too. <laughs> but then what happened? By the time I did that, and, and you know what? It was like one of those where I'd got it so far out of whack where I was footy, footy, footy that I think all I decided out of that, I just said, no, I'm actually going to make sure I always have a beer with my mates. Um, probably had several thousand beers with my mates. 
start like uh, went go right i'm going to play golf um i think i then i did a lot of stuff with challenge which was um kids with cancer in melbourne so i went in and did some hospital visits and just got some balance effectively um back into what i was doing and probably sowed the seeds about what i'm doing with walk with me now about okay how can, how can you find things in your routine that are going to make you better but i still remember the and I'm, I'm actually going to thank him this year at my grand final lunch in brisbane but Wayne Britton, that was the coach at Carlton at that time, I remember I was, him and I, again, it was, you remember these moments, and for anyone out there, if you ever want to help anyone out, you can't underestimate, underestimate the power of just a positive word or just a little moment that helps someone out because I was coming off the track at Carlton and I'd done my extra goal kicking as I did, had the bucket of balls, went out there after everyone else finished, did my goal kicking, coming off the the track and Wayne Britton, it was just him and I walking off Carlton together. And there was all these rumours going around Carlton during the week about, oh, that should they drop Corey and all this sort of stuff. And we're walking off and he looked at me, he goes, you know what? And he goes, they can, they can burn the bloody grandstand down. He goes, I'm not going to drop you. So like hmm. after that, I remember going, you know what? Again, I'm doing it you talk about a why i'm like going hang on i'm going to do this because i don't want to let him down mm. so i remember the next game i think we played hawthorne and started to turn it around i won the best and fairest that first year you did wow. which was pretty yeah to be able to come back from that and then to turn it around and playing the ruck and forward and whatever and kick i think i kicked 40 goals or something like that um but then i remember the end of that was 2002 and jason mccartney was at um, north melbourne and i'd already gone to Queenstown because obviously we were we weren't playing finals so one of the best and fairest jump on the aeroplane I'm feeling great about life I go away can't wait to rip into it the next year I've only been here at Carlton even at that point I started to think well hang on can I get to a point I'll get to a like a leadership type role get in the lead all this sort of stuff then Jason McCartney started ringing me and texting me he goes oh there's a rumor coming around that Dennis is going to come to Carlton which I didn't really like the sound of that, like given that I'd left North Melbourne to get away from Dennis. So this went on for about three or four days. I jump on the plane to come back to um, come back to Melbourne, land at Tullamarine, and uh, so I land at Tullamarine, and and this is before the days of the chip. Like you know, I mean, had to land, but then also you can't be on your phone. You're going through customs control and all this sort of stuff. So I remember I walked up to the guy at customs and I gave him a passport. He looked at me and he said, gee, you'll be happy with your new coach. <laughs> so then I nearly wanted to jump back on the plane and go back to New Zealand. But no, look, like I said, it was, it, it actually did take a shitload out of me from a mental point of view to be able to then, you know, I mean, I, I'd sort of left all that behind and then to have to go back and revisit that and go through that same scenario, that that next year wasn't wasn't good. What was the what was the first meeting like? I'm assuming you spoke to well, him. Well, which was quite interesting you say that because everyone else's meeting went for about 10 minutes. You talk about sliding door moments that Fev had his meeting with Dennis. Now, for those that don't know, Fev was getting the arse if Wayne Britton was going to be coach of Carlton. He'd already made his mind up he was going to get rid of him. Right. When Dennis came along, Fev famously had this meeting with Dennis and Dennis decided to keep him. But 
Fev being Fev, and I love Fev, he walked out of the room, didn't realise that Dennis was standing behind him and said, oh, yeah, the cocker, meaning the coach, loves me. Didn't realise that Dennis was standing right behind him. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so everyone else's meeting went for about five or ten minutes. Mine went for about an hour, and I just unloaded for about an hour. And I, really? All these things, and it was a whole range of things. I said, yeah, I, I, I get to play every minute of every game. I didn't get taken on and off the field um if i said i didn't need to train i could go and cross train or all these rattled off all these things that i even pinpointed the moment where i said i knew i was done at north melbourne um i said i was done remember the day when S when north played essendon and we were up by 69 points and essendon came back and won yeah. Remember the fa that famous game, the MCG? Yeah, the biggest so comeback in the history of the game. No Wayne Carey, no Glenn Archer, no Anthony Stevens played in that game. So I played in the ruck and played centre-half forward and kicked five. And then after the game, I remember Dennis went – he used to go around the room. He'd go, Will, yeah, you were no good today. Or he got <laughs> to me and goes, oh, yeah, you did all right, but you probably could have done more. And I went, I'm sitting there. And, like, and I hadn't in this last year at North Melbourne, I hadn't been that good, but – I played centre-half forward and played in the ruck and kicked five in front of 70,000 people. I'm like, I probably didn't think I was that bad today, but anyway. <laughs> but I actually even told him that. I said, I knew I was done then. And he goes, oh, really? I was like, well, yeah. I said, I played in front of 70,000 people. I said, I kicked five goals and played in the ruck. You gave me a rest at centre-half forward. <laughs> Did he – was he reciprocal to your feedback? Oh, look, he – yeah, I think at the time. But then I remember round one of the next year, I rang Jason McCartney after the game and I said, Jace, I'm, I'm, I'm cooked here. What was Jace doing? Was he still playing at North? Because uh, we've had him – he's no, been a Jason, Remember, Jason just retired. So that was on the back of the Bali bombing game. Yep. Or wasn't that – yeah, so 2002, yep. he would have – yeah, he would have come back and um, he might – yeah, he might have – no, he might have been in the throes of coming back. Mm. Because 2002, October 2002 was obviously the Bali bombing. And then, yep. yeah, he, he, was, he was still at it's North and I was at Carlton. But I, was, I rang him and said, I'm, I'm done here. I'm, he goes, why? I said, mate, I played half, I played, I don't know whether you saw it, so I said, I played half a game. So, I, I don't know. It was, it was pretty tough. I remember, I remember saying to people, I should have retired as soon as he come, as soon as he come to Carlton, I should have retired because it, it Honestly, it took that much out of me to get going again. But like I said, I've got a great relationship with Dennis. Like, and, and because it's more been from we didn't get the best out of one another. Um, and when you're in the middle of it, it's very difficult to say, oh, like, we've got a great relationship because he's your boss, you're the player. You, you've got disagreements, well, like, obviously. I think it's like for anyone out there, if you think of it this way, if you left your job and you left because you didn't get along with that boss – and then you leave and you go somewhere else and then they turn up. That's exactly what it was like. Yeah. So I'm probably stiffer with that than the brown line. <laughs> <laughs> like when you really think about it, that you go somewhere, you get runs on the board, hey, won the best and fairest, and the next minute he turns up. It's pretty incredible you get traded back to North Melbourne though. Or Sorry, can I say trade? I don't know what to say. Did you? Nah, did well, you I took a $100,000 pay cut to go back. Right. Yeah. I. Why? Because it was that, Grim. like I, I just couldn't, Mm. I just couldn't deal with it. Like again, I wanted to get out of there again. I go, I just, I just got away from all this shit. And like I said, it was so hard. <clears throat> and again, you talk about, I suppose, yeah, just mentally. And look, I, I, I think I finished when I was thirty. I didn't finish because I was 
physically at the end of my tether. I, I, I had no doubt that I, w- I could have played for another four or five years, but it was just, I reckon it was just mentally, like dealing with all that and having to rehash it all again, it just made it so hard to get going again. That's which, which one was harder, which time was harder to put the trade request in? The, the first time or, or the second time? <laughs> the second time was really easy. <laughs> no, no, but look, I, I think, look, the first time as much as you've made a decision to actually go to them and say you want to leave is still, you know, it's a big decision because you've actually, you've won premierships there. So you still, and I've actually, again, I've actually said this story before. Truth be known, I shouldn't have signed my contract before the 1999 finals. Like, even though we won the flag that year, the writing was already on the wall back then. Like, I really hastily signed my contract, which probably wasn't the smartest thing, Will, from a dollar's point of view, because if I had to wait it and you win the flag and you're out of contract. That's I mean, people knocking on your door. Yeah, but look, I, but again, I did it. I signed it at that time. I don't really regret it, but it's interesting. I had those feelings, like, even that year where I wasn't really enjoying footy that much. Um, but that said, still got a pretty decent contract I wasn't complaining about. You've had a, a lot of weaving of the mental side of the game into your story and walk with me. Um, you've mentioned that a bit. I think it's probably a good little transition into what you're doing after footy now. And I know you've done a bunch of other stuff, but t- talk to us about walk with me. And I just think by the sounds of it and speaking to you and doing a bit of research on it, it sounds like you are where you are because of some of the stuff we've literally just spoken about for an hour. Yeah, I think it is. I've always had a keen interest in it because of maybe... I've always interested in performance and getting the best out of yourself and that side anyway. And then, yeah, as you said, there would have been some things that happened to me over the journey that I wouldn't... You know, I mean, if you can learn things, that you can share those with other people that they wouldn't have to go through it. But, no, well, Walk With Me really started during the pandemic. Um I saw, a, I saw a headline in the Australian newspaper that the suicide toll, unfortunately, was going to outstrip the coronavirus toll. Mm. Um, as I mentioned to you, I wasn't really the biggest fan of the pandemic. Um, just from a point of view, we were amazing, not we, but everyone else was amazing at everything at telling you you couldn't do, not what you could. Um, and then obviously with having a, a great relationship with a premiership teammate in Wayne Swass and what he'd actually gone through, unbeknownst to us, here's us talking about the tough environment that was North Melbourne during the 90s. Well, we did not know any of that that was going on. He suffered severe And if anyone, I always say that when I talk about Walk With Me, that if anyone, even today, you found that triggering and we're talking about mental health and whatever, think of it this way, right? And Wayne Swass said this, and I always start this when we talk about Walk With Me, that think of it this way, that if you hurt your your hamstring or you you hurt yourself physically. Will you go and get a course of action from your doctor? Like a like when you, again, do your hammy or you get a program where you can actually get it better. Well, think of your mental health exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, go, don't be shy in terms of going in there, go and see a medical professional and just come up with a course of action and a plan. So without Harry Unlick, as I said, without the support that he gave Wayne Swass, he, he may not may not be, who knows what, what would have happened. But... Yeah, I saw the headline in the Australian newspaper, had that um, connection with Swatter and then thought, well, what can I do? Um, we're great at having a conversation about mental health, which we always should. But I thought, what can I actually do? This is, remember, 
May 2020. We're about to start that wonderful period in our lives called COVID. Grim. Right? <laughs> so obviously at that point, the world became really proficient at using Zoom. So then I thought, well, hang on, if I can go for a walk, I don't even know how I got the idea. I think I might have just – I still don't know to this day how I come up with it, <laughs> where I went, well, hang on, what can I actually do? I thought, hang on, if we can walk and talk and then we can – more talk about lifting the moon and come up with ideas and share things about um, about how they can help themselves from a physical and mental point of view, well, then that would be a great thing to do. So that first year of the pandemic, I think we did 103 Zoom walks on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, as I mentioned, the month, and predominantly there were a lot of Victorian people in there. I now live in Queensland, so what we were going through was nothing compared to what was happening in Victoria, but... It was just, it was an amazing thing to be able to do, to be able to get on on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, again, trying to come up with all sorts of topics. It could have been, we were lucky with the guests. We had Jeff Fennick, Wayne Carey, Pat Rafter, just getting people on to hear what they could do to look after themselves from a physical and mental point of view and all sorts of ideas. Some days we do favourite movies or favourite scenes in movies, favourite songs, like all these things that you think about it, we could give them more tools in their kit bag uh, that they could thrive in any situation. Um, so then you fast forward, the pandemic ended and then we had to come up with a new vision. So I think the vision sort of came from, I went up to Ultima Football Netball Club and I took training then I came in one night and then they, they asked me what I'm doing with Walk With Me and that that's where the light bulb went off and I thought, I've got the new vision. Like if it's elite athletes and coaches supporting mental health. So if we can now, where we'll go out to, like it could be, um, we've got Shani Layton and Barry Hall and Billy Moore as ambassadors. So it could be that Barry might take the AFL, Shani takes the netball, come in afterwards, we'll do the talk on how you can look after yourself from a physical and mental point of view, be more proactive about looking after yourself. But then also we leave the, the organisation that will go to their very own branded app. So I'm from West Meadows Footy Club in Victoria. West Meadows that have their very own branded app. Um, so at least, at least we've got that ongoing connection with them. It's like I said, rather than we go in there and, and it's one and done. So it's like a check-in system that you leave them with basically. Correct. Run themselves. and 100%. We put all the, the five pillars that we, we talk about, we put all those in there. There's other ideas and... And again, it'll, it'll sort of get better and better and more refined. One of the other things that's really surprising is a lot of the clubs don't have um, like a probably like more like a duty of care type kit. So if you're a player and I'm the president of the footy club and you come to me and say, oh, listen, Corey, I'm struggling a bit, a lot of them don't have a process. So next year we're working, we're at the moment, we're working with um, the University of Sunshine Coast that you know what, we can talk about the pillars, but if we can implement that system that there's a process that people feel like it's managed, well, we, would, we would have done a great job with it as well. Because those sporting clubs, and especially regional and rural sporting clubs, it's about sport, but effectively it's about community and people, right? 100%. So that was that was one of the huge things when I went up to Ultima and I went up to another place called Wurrali in country Victoria, right in the middle of... Country Victoria, and I'll tell you what, for everyone out there, I know I'm, and and again, preaching um, to the converted with what you just said, that it's amazing places what you see, what football, any sports clubs are, Mm. because it's not just the players that play there, the connection is, 
it's the person that works behind the bar it's the person that's the trainer all these other things sometimes they're just people that are in remote areas on the thursday night they're just looking forward to going down and having a beer and and talking to people so yeah it was the one thing that during covid that that key word connection you know what i mean and and i think if you've got that connection with a, a sporting any organization um it was really powerful it was amazing to go to a rally in these places out there and then when you're here in the city people talking about being disconnected and you think they're doing that every that's their everyday life yeah you know what i mean they, they don't get to have that connection so that's where with this with this app that when we go out there if we can are they going to use the app every day probably not but at least if at any one time it's a reference point that we can definitely help them well yeah it's um yeah for something that I started off during the pandemic just to help people out to actually see it turn into what it is and I know that we're doing a, a function at Optus, Optus Stadium coming up um, to be able to see it really sort of grow and we're going to do um, more in Western Australia next year but I would never have thought my wildest dreams it would turn into what it has. It's pretty cool Ooh, to start that from really a cool. Zoom walkabout type thing and <laughs> jump on a phone and having people walking around talking to themselves on the phone you know what though like i think at the at the end of it and and again we spoke about this off off air i think one of the things that i'd highly recommend it to anyone out there there's a there's a talk by simon senek about finding your why and i know that it was one of the things when we spoke about it too about even with west coast what was it flags friends and family yeah i remember when simo said that and there's this real famous talk by Simon Sinek about finding your why. And I, I watched this about five years ago and it really made sense why 1996 we'd spoken about that, about you talk about finding your why. If you can find the cause that's bigger than yourself, well, then you'll do anything. It's like if you said for your family, well, you're going to do anything for your family because it's a big, powerful thing that you do. And that's where I ended up watching that that talk and it's probably – even with me personally, or uh, you talk about your own individual pillars and how you work. Mine, what well, I got a real buzz out of. I, I then learnt, hang on, helping others, like in any way, shape, or form. And then, even with things like me doing the Super Bowl or the Masters, people were just seeing, yeah, the glitz and the glamour of the Super Bowl or the Masters. I, for me, it's always about seeing the people and delivering those experiences, like seeing the reaction. You know, I mean, you, you're helping them achieve. You know, I mean, really cool things. So. I'd highly recommend it out there. I know we spoke about it, but if you get the chance, it. look at that Simon Senek thing, and I'll be very. I'll be interested to get your feedback. Do you want me to give you? It sounds like I need to put a report. No, down. no, but I, <laughs> no, but I know that Simo, with what he said, with that flags, yep. um, friends, family flags, friends, family flags, <laughs> that type of thing, and when you see the likes of Collingwood and these organisations that find it. When you think about it, they are they're tapping into something bigger than themselves it's not just about footy here that what we're doing this it's bigger than us like if it's the 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 family and that that aspect that that is one major reason why you're doing it that would be a common denominator with premiership teams i reckon um without having done a big study over it i think that would be quite common that players can see outside themselves and the, the role-playing ability or doing it for the coach or doing it for their family or friends. It's amazing when you think about it. And then when we think back to those prelim finals, it, it is – I don't know what point it clicks over. You know what I mean? When you actually – when you put it like that. Mm. When's that moment where it clicks over where you go from, hang on, we're just building here to all of a sudden – We get it, it. it. It's like that extra um, – light gets uh, flicked over it's into that next phase of hang on this is just bigger than us it's not about 
individually what you're doing. It's all of a sudden it's becoming about getting your hands on that cup. It's uh, I don't know. It's funny when you think back of it like that, where you could go, hang on, when did it actually really click? Like I know that for us it was losing those prelims, but going into that third year, you knew that you were never going to lose. Mm. I think a lot of people that would expect you to speak about it would be filthy with missing the Brownlow, but you can listen and see if you're watching on YouTube. I think you're pretty happy at the end of it all when it's all said and done that you came away with two premierships. Oh look, if you if you get to win two flags, and I know. There's a couple of things. One, I won the MVP, which you win the you win the AFL MVP. It's voted for by your peers. That's the Lee Matthews. The Lee Matthews Trophy, yeah. Um, and then the other one for me is the two flags that we won. I know I had two vastly different games. We won't speak about '98. That's the one we don't talk about. What did you do? Well, '98's the one where we lost against Adelaide. I know. What yeah. did you do? Something. What's that? Did you what? Did you do something personally, or? Well, we all did. We kicked two goals, eleven in the second quarter, and we. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but look, the ones that we won, I know when it's all said and done that I had two vastly, probably massive games in either of those. Like '96 was a was a high possession game, first time ever, and never probably got to do it every game where I'd, I actually did play a kick behind the ball. I went, "How long's this been going on for?" <laughs> and then '99 was more. I played as the forward and, and kicked some really big goals in the grand final. So I know when it's all said and done, and I look back at what I've done, that I think if you can stand up on the biggest stage of all, and and that was probably a continuing theme throughout my career. When we played Friday night footy and those big games, I know I had my biggest games that was maybe my problem was the smaller games <laughs> were the, the problem the, the bigger ones were never the issue it was like the, and again we it's the one thing i want to see north valley get back to and it's the one thing that really pisses me off that i'm not saying we rolled over on but remember at the, at, at the end of the day everyone remember this north melbourne started friday night footy and what makes me angry right and i get that we're in the environment about making money and everything like that but throughout the late 80s and early 90s, no one wanted to play Friday night footy. Is that right? No one wanted to play it. And yet, when, the, when we talk about games and giving teams games each year and everything like that, at least they should get at least one game every year and put them on against Collingwood or Essendon or one of the big teams. I know we get Good Friday now, which is good, but I tell you, and it, we used to treat Friday night as a real badge of honour that you're coming on the our patch on a Friday night footy and you guys would have watched from afar um, or watched North Melbourne on a Friday night. We really did. Like, you you knew that if you're playing North Melbourne Friday night footy, that we, we had like a 70% strike rate, I think. I'm just making sure. We're about to get into social media and I don't think it's there, so I'll ask it. Did you play in Pagan's Paddock? Like, was that... Were you playing then? We always played in <laughs> Pagan's Paddock. What? <laughs> You know what it was called? Kick it to Wayne and get the hell out of the way. <laughs> no, look, I think that started 1998. Right. But and that was get everyone up high up the ground and try and get them out the back? Is that what it was? Or really? But or was it clear clear everyone out of Duck's way? Oh, yeah, I know. But really, here's the thing. You've got the one of the best players in the competition up forward. It's probably what annoys the shit out of me now. Like, So you as a defender, right? Yes. So if I'm playing on you deep forward... Yeah, shit myself. Would you rather... <laughs> I know, but would you rather just keep one player inside 50? So when they do this yeah. stupid full ground press, yeah. why can't you leave just one back? Yeah, correct. Why? Yeah, I don't know. And actually, whilst I'm having my other rant... Yeah, great. Go. 
Why, as a forward, when you kick a goal, do you have to run off the ground? No, don't start that shit. Don't <laughs> start that shit. No, 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 don't start that shit. But you'd love that as a defender. Yeah, I know. Yeah. If I kick a goal on you, you'd love it. You go, hang on, no one's looking at me now because they haven't seen that Corey probably kicked the goal on me. <laughs> See you, but mate. Can you actually explain? I can't no, explain it. I why? can't explain it. Because I do this with Jacko every fucking week on 6PR because he's the same as you. Why are the forwards coming on? And Carl Langdon. So, by the way, hang on, and you've got to run three, four hundred metres to do it. So hang on, how, how big are the ovals? Hang on, just <laughs> hang on. Just, so, the, the forwards don't come up every time they kick a goal. Because of the television and the telecast now, they are on the, the, the camera is on the player that kicks the goal. So, if at the time they're going to come off, you see them coming off. They come off at different times too, but the camera isn't trained on people just coming off the ground. So, you only see the player when they come off the ground if they've kicked a goal. But in the middle of the game, there's there's eighty inter- interchanges. Are you buying this? I'm fucking buying it because it happens. Oh. <laughs> no, it does. It does seem like it does. But how it does happens. it usually end up that it's nearly nine times out no, of ten? No, that it doesn't. Is, you can't no, no. you can't say that it's that it, much of a coincidence. You can't say it's nine times out of ten. We need to wrap this up. Social media, not social media. We need yeah. the questions from the people for you. Dan yeah. and I are done. We've got some more questions coming in. There's actually a couple of good ones. The Jay Jaden. Uh, did any North players or fans give you shit for going to Carlton and then apologise when you came back? Uh, no, nah, because, look, I, I think that, and again, North North Melbourne fans are a pretty forgiving brunch. The one that, as I mentioned, the, the Carlton fans were pretty savage when early days when I wasn't getting a kick. Um, and remember, this uh, we're talking about 2002 at that time. Carlton weren't used to losing at that point. Mm. We're not talking... It's now 21 years later where they've had – they've probably got used to heartache over the journey. Um, no, I remember there was a game – no, I think I might have played on Mick and then I realised how – see, the, the thing is with Mick Martin too, because I knew Mick and I didn't think Mick was tough, Mick had everyone bluffed. <laughs> he just looked so tough. So when I played on Mick, I, I thought Mick was like playing on Christmas. Like I, I thought it was great. <laughs> but mind you, because and then because I knew that much, isn't it funny when when you don't know someone? And I was like this with Spider Everett, right? I used to work myself into a frenzy when I was going to play on Spider. Like nineteen ninety six, both times against St Kilda, got three votes in the Brownlow. Yes. Like and then what happened? I met him, and then I met him. And went, Fuck, he's not a bad bloke. <laughs> I can't not like him now. <laughs> but you would have found that as yeah. well, that you've met certain blokes over that you, you're only seeing them from afar. Then you meet him and you go, oh, shit, he's actually not a bad bloke. Happens right. regularly on this podcast. They come on as, as a fan. You what, think they like, say that about him? Yeah, correct. <laughs> Wait till we get Ryan Crowley on. Everyone from West Coast hates Ryan Crowley. Yeah. One of the best blokes. Uh, Mike Gazes. Uh, which North team was strongest, 96, 98 or 99? 98. The one mm. that lost. Really? The It's... Yeah, when you when, and again, it's it'd be interesting to actually, we can actually do this off air and, and and I can show you on paper when when you actually see it on paper that '96 had some guys that were coming towards the end, like you would add Ian Fairley and Croc and Lades and some of those guys. Remember, by the time we got to '98, then you're throwing in Byron Pickett. Um, who else is Peter Bell? Is he added to the nah, group? No, Belly was, but no. Belly had become a better player by '98. So, mm. I. Yeah, I often and Jason McCartney was in there in '98. He didn't play in '99 because he got reported at the 26 minute mark of the last quarter. Decided he'd whack Clark Keating. Yeah. But isn't it funny the way that life works with Jason? He had 
bigger things that were going to happen down the, the yeah. track than uh, premiership. So, yeah, to answer your question in short, um, the I think the 90, with the greatest respect to the other ones, I know they've got the silverware, but I always thought that 98 team was the best one on paper. I know you spoke about Simo a little bit, but this is probably specifically as a, as a player, John Dawson. Uh, when you played with Adam Simpson, did you see signs he was going to be a good coach? Yeah, look, as I, as I mentioned before, Simo um, would easily sit alongside Wayne Carey as a, as a really great leader, just different leaders in their own right. Um, not to say that Wayne didn't have care and interest because Wayne, they both had their, their different strengths. Wayne, Wayne would, do it, like I said before, would be the type of leader that is going to take you on the journey, follow me, really good. He's still good at bringing the group together. Um, though he had an interesting way when he'd do the vote on the footy trip. We'd have the vote where we'd want to go and then we'd go where Wayne would want to go. <laughs> um, but then as I mentioned, look, Simo, and again, for all those West Coast fans out there to, and you probably obviously know Simo well, but um, he it would be leaving no stone. I know they all do, but I know Simo, what he's like and, and with the, lead, the type of leader he was at at North Melbourne, as I mentioned before, that... He was always finding ways to how he was going to make the club better or how we could play better or how they could do a better stoppage, all these sorts of things. So it was probably no surprise that he was going to go into coaching. I was probably just shocked at how quick he did it. Yeah, that's, mm. that's a good call. Marty Mudcrab. Uh, your top three opposition ruckmen. Top three opposition ruckmen. Look, the, um, so I, I was coming to the I'd sort of come to the end before Coxie got really up and going um there's Ruckman I played against that were hard for different reasons like Justin Madden was just hard because he was so big and at that time remember I was just starting so I could jump in the middle and he could practically hold me up in the air <laughs> like as high as I could jump at that point um yeah Scott Wine Scott Wine was always pretty hard because he was very smart with how he go about it, they're the ones. They're the probably ones that sort of spring to mind the most. But then the ones that I didn't have a lot to do with, like that I sort of missed a little bit. Like I, like Dean. Co I remember playing. I think Dean Cox might have played on it in a preseason game. Maybe. But then I love it. He's a bit like Goldie. That I love what they've been able to do. They've made themselves a great player, like just through bloody hard work. And that, like Todd Goldstein. I I got to speak before his three hundredth game. Todd Goldstein got sent away from North Melbourne twice because his training wasn't up to standard. Wow. Like he was that bad. And it's sort of like to watch it from afar and I've sent Goldie different messages at, uh, messages at different times. And I spoke about that for his 300th game and said, you know what, like he is, to see what he's actually done, it's a lesson for everyone at North Melbourne right now. You can make yourself a great player or not. you can make yourself not only up to an AFL standard player, but you can make yourself an elite AFL player like Goldie and like Coxie have just through hard work, just through sheer unadulterated hard work. Coxie's a rookie, comes to the footy club, yeah. fat as, and turned himself into, you know, of his era, probably the greatest ruckman of that era. Um, Nathan Magyar, I know what was said to you, but... What was said in the rooms after the 2001 Essendon comeback? Um, I don't know. It was. It, I think it was a really strange aftermatch, anyway, because, like I said, when you got Wayne Carey, Anthony Stevens, and Glenn Archer missing, 
I, I don't really remember what was said after the game, but I, <laughs> I, I still remember going in at quarter time. We kicked 13 goals in the first quarter. <laughs> so you know when you – and you would have done this right. You know when you're going to go, oh, we need to start well. Yeah. So maybe like you start, okay, you kick seven, and you go, okay, you'll keep going. I remember we kicked 13 and going into the huddle, and I'm like – it was like, what do you do now? <laughs> you kick, I think we kicked 13-1. In the first quarter. Wow. Like, and this is against Essendon. That, Sizzling. Like they're, they're red hot. They've just won the 2000 Premiership. In 2001, they were the same. And I sort of half felt at the time that we got off to too good of a start because we're up by so far. Like, you, <laughs> like mentally. But it was, and again, as I mentioned, uh, like Essendon and North Valley, we got this real hatred of a, of a rivalry and then it was the worst feeling. Like you knew... You knew at some stage they were going to come back, but you just didn't. Yeah, that game turned into the ridiculous. I think it was like twenty-seven goals to twenty-six or something crazy. The egg man. Uh, how do you like your eggs? Uh, I'm more. I go poached hard, depending on how I feel. Right. But then I do love chili omelets. Yeah, Good. chili yeah, omelets. Good call. I tell you one I had recently at Noosa Surf Club. Not that I'm a paid ambassador, but they can pay me if they want. <laughs> Shout out to no, they had club. they had a prawn chili omelet. Oh, so if you got the prawns in the chili, that is pretty much you. That's pretty it's rogue, bougie. but I like it. Yeah, it's pretty bougie. That's us done and dusted, mate. Um, had fun. Had lots of fun. Good. Um, big thank you to our sponsors, our partners, Fleet Network, uh, Swimply, Whippersnapper Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co. You like your shelters? Jeez, you got some sponsors. Leadable Cameras Absolutely. look after us. Mumba Digital look after our website. Backchatstudios.com.au. You go and check out their work if you want a website done or anything in sales. You can check them out. Mumba Digital. And, of course, Walk With You. Uh, walk, walk With, with me. me. You Shit. can walk with I can walk with you. But walk, <laughs> well, walk with you with Walk With Me. Um can we keep an eye out? How do people find out we more? We will. I will talk to you about how we can do something. I'm more than happy to do something cool. with you blokes over here in Western Australia. What if, you're, what, if you're, what if you're listening along, you're part of a regional footy club and you want to get you guys involved? Can they jump well, on the that's website? That's what I think we can come up with you. We, right, we might come up with some sort of prize where someone can win a Walk With Me experience at their club for 2024. I like it. would be fantastic awesome. to go out to one of the clubs and I reckon even, yeah, I, I have, like I said, I'm, I'm not... Where WA is like a bit, I've been to different parts of WA over the journey, so it'd be good to go out to somewhere that I haven't haven't been. And in the end, you know, footy clubs are all the same. You go into all the rooms and Correct. same sort of feeling. Thursday night training, meal after training. Got the old school uh, strapper Lenny, easing the all white. Macca, Smitty, yeah. <laughs> all yeah. the or Jonesy, all yeah. all the different <laughs> nicknames. Jono, one eight Fred. Hit us up. Yes. Send us an email if that sounds of interest because we'd love to sort that out too. Yeah. Hello at backchatpodcast.com.au. Stick around, patrons. We've got one more story coming up for Corey. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.